Full Scope, Human Longevity and Performance Podcast. We want you to become the most exceptional, high-performing version of yourself. And to facilitate this, we are giving away the Longevity Fundamentals Handbook absolutely free. This is a tremendous resource that will tell you the lifestyle behaviors and mindset that will lead to the best outcomes and longevity. To get this, go to our website, wondermedicine.com or fullscope.org, put in your email, and we will send you this amazing resource, the Longevity Fundamentals Handbook. Welcome back to Yellow Fever. On this part two, we're going to talk mostly about the vaccine, but cover some interesting extra stuff as well. Particularly in sneak peek, don't give blood thinners, antiplatelets, or other drugs that make people bleed to someone who has yellow fever. Quick recap. Yellow fever is an arbovirus disease. It's spread by arthropods, and namely mosquitoes. It's present in equatorial Africa and equatorial South America, but for some reason, not Asia. It causes a febrile illness, which in most cases is asymptomatic or mild, but in a small percent of cases, say 15% or so, it progresses to a hemorrhagic fever that causes jaundice and bradycardia. About half of the people who move on to this second stage will die. Alright, circling back to epidemiology, there are seven different genotypes of yellow fever virus found in Africa, and two different genotypes found in South America. And of course, there may be more, but that's how many are on our radar. Circling back to treatment, what do you think is the one type or group of drugs that you're going to want to avoid in somebody with yellow fever. And this is this is probably very important. And the answer is drugs that increase the risk of bleeding. So antiplatelets like aspirin, clopidogrel, as well as um, anticoagulants like warfarin, heparin, and uh, I'm sure uh, novel oral anticoagulants as well, though you're probably not seeing many of those in, in sub-Saharan Africa at this time. But you want to avoid blood thinners. Um, bleeding is, is a really serious risk, and you don't want to exacerbate that process. All right, finally, let's talk about vaccines. There is a highly efficacious vaccine. It's called 17D. The first human virus ever isolated was, in fact, yellow fever, and this was done in 1927. Shortly after that, the 17D strain of yellow fever, which is a live attenuated uh, strain of the virus, was discovered. And that was a Nobel Prize winning discovery made by a man, Max Thieler in 1937. And believe it or not, that 17D strain is still utilized in our vaccinations today. As stated, this is a live attenuated vaccine. And as such, you're going to need to be 
very careful on certain populations. But this is a vaccine that is very, very efficacious. Ten days after being immunized, 95% of people will develop immunity. And by 30 days, 99% of people will. This is lifelong immunity, or at least it's thought to be. Formerly, the World Health Organization recommended redosing every 10 years, but in 2013, they changed this recommendation. And that was based off of a number of studies showing that neutralizing antibodies were present years and years after. In fact, in one study, a group of World War II veterans, um, 80% of them were shown to have yellow fever neutralizing antibodies 35 years after their first dose. So this is a vaccine that tends to work for a long, long time. And there are a few groups that it's recommended to revaccinate them. Kids that are less than two years old, uh, people with HIV, and those that have received a hematopoietic stem cell transplant should all be considered for revaccination 10 years later. But the vast majority of us will enjoy lifelong immunity following just one vaccination. This is a fairly inexpensive vaccine in most parts of the world. But of course, in the United States, it's not not all that cheap. Um, at my clinic, Wonder Medicine, we charge about $200 for it. And that's actually pretty close to our cost or what we get charged uh, ourselves for it. And so um, it does cost a little bit of money, but since it gives you lifelong immunity to this um, potentially fatal disease, if you are traveling to one of these countries, it is highly recommended, and I do recommend it. Anyone who gives out yellow fever vaccine is required to be a designated vaccination site through the World Health Organization or one of their designees like the Centers for Disease Control in the United States. And you actually get a stamp and a card and you have to take a little bit of special training because the vaccine does come with some risks and you need to know some information in order to give it out safely. But these yellow cards are very important because many countries will require them for entry. And those countries uh, include in Africa, Angola, Benin, Burkina Faso, Cameroon, Central African Republic... Democratic Republic of the Congo, the Ivory Coast, uh, the Congo, Gabon, Guinea-Bissau, Liberia, Mali, Niger, Sierra Leone, and Togo, and then even one South American country, uh, French Guiana, requires it as well. Sorry if I didn't say any of those names right. I'm doing the best I can, people. Um, if for those countries, you have a contraindication to the vaccine, which we'll talk about. You actually should have a letter from a doctor from one of these um, designated vaccine sites like Wonder Medicine and myself on the actual clinic's letterhead stating that you can't get the vaccine and why. And unfortunately, it is up to that country whether or not they want their, they actually waive allow you to enter the country and waive the yellow fever vaccine requirement or not. So a little bit of risk with travel like that. 
but most of the time I think they do um, they are pretty good about that and letting people in and then as we discussed there are some Asian countries as well where if you are traveling directly from an endemic yellow fever country you may be required to show proof of yellow fever vaccine upon entry to that country just because there is a risk that you could literally bring yellow fever from some country in Africa to Asia and it could start to circulate in that country and then it could become endemic to that country. So kind of important in that sense. Yellow fever has actually been on the rise worldwide for a number of years. And in the last 10 years in South America, they've actually seen the most cases that they've seen in several decades. So this is actually a growing problem. And to make matters worse, if you were a non-native individual, your chances of having a more severe infection from yellow fever are much higher than someone that's living full-time in those endemic countries. But just like with the vaccine, if you do get yellow fever virus infection, you're thought to have lifelong immunity from subsequent infections. The yellow fever vaccine is usually given as a 0.5 milliliter either IM intramuscular or SC subcutaneous injection. The World Health Organization approves four different manufacturers. The one we use in the United States is Sanofi Pasteur, which uses the 17D forward slash 204 strain. Um, and that country or that company is based out of France. And in addition to Sanofi Pasteur, there are three other manufacturers: the Institut Pasteur de Dakar in Senegal, the Biomeguinhos in Brazil, and the Institute of Poliomyelitis and Viral Encephalitis in Russia. If you were looking to get the yellow fever virus vaccine, in 2017, 2018, 2019, and even 2020, you probably found a lot of difficulty in doing so. And that is because there were global shortages due to manufacturing problems that led to just no availability of the vaccine, particularly in the U.S. But I have great news. As of 2021, Yellow Fear vaccine is back. We have it at our clinic, Wonder Medicine, and I bet a bunch of other people do as well. All right, so who should get the vaccine? Well, in endemic countries, pretty much any kid between the age of 9 and 12 months is recommended to get the vaccine because yellow fever is such a, a dangerous infection. Now, because the vaccine has some potential dangerous side effects, it's really not recommended that everyone get this vaccine because it would be dangerous for people that, say, are living in the United States and without travel have no risk for the disease. And so let's spend some time talking about who should get the vaccine as well as some of the horrible things that can happen to people who do get the vaccine. Now, keep in mind, I recommend getting this vaccine, as I've said, if you are traveling to a high-risk area for yellow fever. But it's certainly not for everyone. And... Vaccines certainly aren't always, quote, safe. Some have very dangerous side effects. Some are frankly unacceptable, and they never really make it to primetime use because they're too dangerous. So the idea that all vaccines are safe or all vaccines are dangerous is really quite silly. 
That's equivalent to saying all medicines are safe or all medicines are dangerous. You really have to take them one at a time. You have to look at them scientifically, and you have to decide if the risks outweigh the benefits, and then make an informed decision after that. All right, let's start by talking about contraindications. Who should not get the vaccine? The first group is children less than six months of age. And ideally, you shouldn't even give it to children less than nine months of age. And the reason for this is because kids less than six months have an increased risk of encephalitis or an inflammation of the brain. The next group are adults greater than 60 years of age. And in fact, this is not an absolute contraindication, but caution is advised. And this is because they have an increased risk of yellow fever-associated vaccine neurotropic disease and yellow fever vaccine-associated viscerotropic disease. Those are abbreviated YEL and for associated neurotropic disease and YEL AVD for viscerotropic disease. Those are really serious things. We're going to talk about them, but the incidence of having those after vaccination goes up with age. And in fact, the older you get, the more at risk you are. The next group, which is contraindicated, and this is another relative contraindication, is pregnant women. We basically tell all pregnant women that they should not receive live attenuated vaccines because they are in an immunocompromised state. And the good news is, is that no adverse fetal or maternal outcomes have ever been reported, at least to my knowledge, following yellow fever vaccination in pregnant women. But in general, we try to avoid live attenuated vaccines in pregnant women. Nursing mothers should avoid yellow fever vaccine. This is because there have been case reports of yellow fever-associated neurotrophic disease in babies being breastfed. And this is because the vaccine, the live attenuated virus in the vaccine, was passed to the baby via breast milk. So that's a population maybe to be even more worried about than, than the pregnant woman is the breastfeeding mother. The next group of people who should not get the yellow fever vaccine are those individuals who have thymic disorders. Now remember, the thymus is an organ. It's very important for the maturation of lymphocytes. And people with things like myasthenia gravis, thymomas, who have had their thymus removed via thymectomy, and those individuals with DiGeorge syndrome, a genetic disorder that affects the development of the thymus should not be given the yellow fever vaccine because they are at increased risk of yellow fever associated viscerotropic disease. We're going to talk about that, but a very severe manifestation of the vaccine, a very scary thing. And since it's more common in those with thymic disorders, we try to avoid vaccination in those groups. And those are going to be people that you're going to fill out a waiver for so that they can still potentially visit countries they want, but they don't have to take on the increased risk of the vaccine. Because for those people, the risks of the vaccine are outweighed by the potential benefits. There's a contraindication for the vaccine for anyone with a, a severe immunodeficiency, including cancers, 
uh, if you have AIDS, if you've received an organ transplant, or if you're on immunosuppressive drugs for things like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, DMARDs, all of these uh, monoclonal antibodies that affect the immune system, all these people are going to not want to receive the yellow fever vaccine because they too may be at risk for, for problems with the live attenuated vaccine. Now, in general, if you're trying to vaccinate somebody with HIV, if their CD4 count is greater than 200, you're probably safe to give the vaccine. And I must say that sometimes it's a little bit of a catch-22 with immunocompromised people because these are the individuals that also are going to be very likely to have problems if they get yellow fever. So you've kind of got this problem where, man, it'd be great to get them the vaccine, it's probably more dangerous, but if they get the infection, it's probably going to be worse too. Now, their chances of getting the vaccine if you give it to them are 100%, and the chances of getting the di- the disease are, are quite a bit lower than that. So you're always having to weigh the risks and benefits and probably look at, at people on a case-by-case basis. And the final contraindication is if you have a history of anaphylaxis to chicken eggs. Basically, the the 17D strain of yellow fever is grown in chicken eggs. And that's basically you grow them up and then you purify out the virus and use it in a vaccine. And there's going to still be egg components in it. So if you have a severe anaphylactic or, or severe allergy to eggs, you should avoid it. All right. So those are the contraindications. Don't forget those. Kids less than six months, adults greater than 60 years, pregnant women, nursing mothers, those with thymic disorders, severely immunocompromised people, and then those with a history of anaphylaxis to chicken eggs. Okay, what about vaccine side effects? Well, the classic vaccine side effects are, of course, common, and those things are arm pain at the site of injection, headache, muscle aches, and even low-grade fever. These symptoms are going to occur in at least 5% of individuals, and they can sometimes occur days after. Um, Hypersensitivity reactions to the vaccine are very, very uncommon. Usually with those, and, and usually the people who have hypersensitivity reactions have problems with eggs, and those are, are pretty low prevalence overall. Now, the two really scary things, and and by scary, I mean really scary, are yellow fever vaccine-associated neurotropic disease and yellow fever-associated viscerotropic disease. What's up, Full Scope listeners? If you are enjoying this content, if this content is bringing you value, Please share it with your friends, loved ones, and everyone else. Post it online, on social media. Let your friends know. Have them subscribe. Put the word out there. That's all we really ask. And at the very least, give us a review and rate the podcast. Thanks so much. Let's get back to the show. There have been approximately 50 documented cases worldwide of yellow fever associated neurotropic disease. And this is typically a bad deal. It affects obviously your nervous system. It happens usually 4 to 28 days after the immunization is received. 
and most people will recover from these events but they can be very dangerous and at least one was fatal in an individual with HIV. Now like we said these are much more common in children and in fact children less than four months of age are at, at, at considerably higher risk. This is a rare thing the prevalence uh, varies greatly from different sources that I've read, but I've found sources that say it's as common as four to six people per, per million vaccinated, all the way up to one per eight million people vaccinated. That is a huge range, and we really, like most things, need more research to figure this out. Some of the neurological problems associated with yellow fever vaccine-associated neurotropic disease include encephalitis, which is inflammation of the brain, myelitis, inflammation of the spinal cord, acute disseminated encephalomyelitis, so you basically got inflammation of the brain, the spinal cord, everything, as well as Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is an ascending paralysis that can be fatal if not treated. Uh, and, and by treated, I mean you have sometimes have to go on a ventilator and have someone breathe for you because your body is paralyzed for an extended period of time. Again, these are very rare, but very scary. The next problem, yellow fever-associated viscerotropic disease, is even scarier. I'm sorry, people, but there have been 59 individuals uh, recorded or, or reported to have this viscerotropic disease. And I'm sure there's been more, but that's how many there are cases of. And again, these, these uh, case numbers are probably going to vary from source to source and they're probably ever-growing because uh, new cases pop up all the time but this is essentially a multi-organ failure it usually presents two to five days after vaccination initially with fever muscle aches and gastrointestinal symptoms but then progress fairly rapidly to hypotension liver renal and respiratory failure along with uh, encephalopathy or, or brain inflammation or, or, or altered mentation, low platelets, disseminated intravascular coagulation, and death. The case fatality rate for yellow fever-associated viscerotropic disease is 65%. So the majority of people who get this are going to die. And that is a really, really scary thing. Now, this is really uncommon. It happens to about 1 to 2.5 people who get the vaccine per million people vaccinated. But some sources do say that this could be an order of magnitude or even two lower in prevalence. So perhaps that 1 to 2.5 million is overstated and perhaps it's more like 1 to 2.5 per 10 million or even per 100 million but it's really hard to tease out like we said older people should not get the vaccine because they're at higher risk for this viscerotropic disease we normally say people greater than 60 because that's when the risk starts to really increase but those greater than 75 years old have an even higher risk and it's thought to be 12 times the risk of younger individuals and those 75 and older now this risk 
is only for the initial vaccine and it does not occur with a yellow fever booster vaccine or at least it has not been recorded or at least I have not been able to find a recorded case. But that doesn't mean that it's not possible. But the good news is, of course, that people are no longer recommended to get a 10-year booster shot, so it's really not something we even have to worry about. So again, those are two really scary things. You have your neurotropic diseases, which can result in encephalitis, myelitis, acute disseminated encephalomyelitis, and Guillain-Barre syndrome. And then you have your viscerotropic diseases that results in basically a multi-organ failure and kills uh, 65% or so of people who get it. So scary things, but rare things. And for that reason, you don't just vaccinate every person in the United States with the yellow fever vaccine. Because then you'd have, uh, you know, several people that would probably end up dying from it because because the viscerotropic disease does happen. You should only get this vaccine if you're going to a country where you're going to be at high risk for getting or contracting yellow fever. The final thing I want to say, and this goes for basically all live attenuated vaccines, is it's generally recommended to give them at the same time as other live attenuated vaccines or four weeks apart. And that's because there's a theoretical idea that, that the immune system might not um, develop as well uh, to the second vaccine given. And actually, it might be the first vaccine given. i got to look that up. Anyway, it, that's kind of a general recommendation. That doesn't apply to polio. You can give the live attenuated oral poliovirus at any time, um, you know, a week after, two weeks after yellow fever vaccine. And... As always, this rule, like most rules, I should say, this rule can be broken. If you have somebody that's traveling, they're going to be at high risk for certain infections, and you need to give them certain vaccines in a, in a certain amount of time so they can get immunity in time for their trip, you can break that rule. But you do read that a lot of places, so I just wanted to say that because it is a theory that keeps popping up. I think we need to, uh, like most things, go ahead and test that one a little bit more. All right, actually, one more thing. Remember I said that the 17D strain of the yellow fever vaccine was discovered in 1937. People, that was 84 years ago. It's been 84 years since we discovered and had access to the yellow fever vaccine. And quite frankly, yellow fever vaccine-associated neurotropic and viscerotropic disease are unacceptable side effects. I mean, the fact that some people can get viscerotropic disease and then are, are more than 50% likely to die is just not good. But there's good news. I, I've looked around on the internet and I see that there are, are people in groups working on newer versions of the yellow fever vaccine that hopefully will be safer. I'm looking at one right now that's uh, a guy, uh, Mark, 
gosh, how do you say his name? Mark Slifka, a PhD scientist that runs the Oregon National Primate Research. He's he works on hydrogen peroxide based vaccines or hydrovax hydrovax vaccines they were going to launch a clinical trial on a version of a yellow fever vaccine in 2020 i'm not sure if that actually got started because of the pandemic but i just mean to say that that people are working on newer versions of the yellow fever vaccine that hopefully have more acceptable and safer side effect profiles Okay, guys, there is so much more to say about yellow fever and yellow fever vaccine. This was just scratching the surface, a 101 course, as really all the podcasts are. But again, I appreciate you taking the time to learn, get smarter. It's both good for you and good for society. Thank you so much for listening to the Full Scope Podcast and investing in your health. I'm Dr. Bill Randenberg. If you're enjoying the content, please rate, review, and share this content with all of your friends online and all your social media platforms. Please understand that this podcast is not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure your specific medical condition. This podcast does not create any type of doctor-patient relationship between myself, Dr. Brandenburg, and you, the listener. If you do need help with your life, with your health, with anything regarding your longevity or performance, please check out wondermedicine.com. Our longevity and performance program is the best in the world and is ready to help you right now today become the best possible individual you can be. Thanks. Bye-bye. Pew.